I've been friends with many counselors uh, over the years. Counselors tell me that being friends with a pastor is always very profitable. It's like every year you're friends with a pastor is like dog years, as with anybody else. You know, seven years worth of referrals. Anyway, um, I remember one buddy of mine who was telling me about a client of his. I didn't know the client at all. I didn't know his name. He didn't go into details. But um, he was a Christian businessman, this client of his. And the man was a pillar in his church, one of its leaders, actually. He led a small group Bible study, sang all the hymns every Sunday, he would not let a cuss word pass his lips, but he was stooping his wife's best friend on a regular basis, which is why he was going to see my friend, the counselor. Now, my friend was appalled at his client's lack of integrity. Integrity means being the same in public as you are in private means you're integrated. You're the same on the inside as you are on the outside. But here's a sad reality. I don't think any of us really has integrity. And we know it, sadly. We all know there's a disconnect between our inside life and our outside life. And the question that we have as Christians very often is, how do we get ourselves integrated? How do we make the private the same as the public, the inside the same as the outside, so that we're the same through and through. This problem's been going on for a long, long time. People of God have struggled with this issue. And one of the things I want to tell you before we start the reading of the Scripture tonight is the Pharisees were such a group of believers in God. They had a hard time with this lack of integrity, not only in their lives, but in the lives of the whole Jewish nation. And so they wanted to make sure that the country could have some kind of integrity. They were reformers, is what they were. There really weren't any priests among them. For the most part, they were a lay movement. Regular people who wanted to make a difference in the life of their country. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Mark chapter 7, and um, we'll start reading. Verse 1, should be up on the wall. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus and saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were unclean, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, holding to the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash, and they observe many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. Interesting information, right? 
Not for us, because we're a hygiene-obsessed culture. They're not talking about hygiene here, though. This is kind of like trying to explain a Jewish joke to somebody who's not Jewish. Let me give you a little background. It was ceremonial. It was ritual. It was about honoring God. You see, in the Old Testament, the priests were required to wash before they ate a meal in the temple, ceremonial washing, to make themselves pure before God. It had nothing to do with germs. They didn't know about germs, right? The little, they didn't, you know, I'm a bug, I'm a germ, I'm a bug, I'm a germ. Remember that? Louis Pasteur. Remember that uh, <laughs> video? Anyway, um, they were very, very small things that they couldn't see. So uh, they were doing this out of obedience to God. Now, God may have had hygiene in mind. I don't know. It didn't matter to the Jews. They did it because God said to do it. The priests did it in the temple. The Pharisees reasoned that if they were going to be a holy nation, a nation of priests like the Old Testament said they were, then maybe all of them should do these kinds of rituals. And so began the tradition of washing your hands before you ate. If you came from the marketplace and washing your cups and your plates and things like that. All right. This has been going on for, you know, decades and decades and decades by the time of Jesus. And so the question they're asking is one that you would expect an answer to. Here's a teacher, a holy teacher, bringing a new teaching, Jesus. Here are the Pharisees who are concerned about the religiosity of the country. And they're asking Jesus, how come your disciples don't do this? Now Jesus jumps down their throats. You're asking, you're, you, I mean, in one sense you're going, why would Jesus be so antagonistic right off the bat? I think part of the reason lies in that the Pharisees are calling him out publicly. They're out in the open. They're saying, basically, come on, Jesus. Your disciples aren't all that holy if they don't wash before they eat, as has been the tradition for many, many, many decades. So Jesus comes back at him full throttle. Verse 6, he replied, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites, you play actors. As it is written, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. And he said to them, You've got a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses his father or mother must be put to death. Aren't you glad sometimes that you didn't grow up Jewish in this era? Teenage angst and rebellion would be Greatly reduced. (laughs) 
But you say that if a man says to his father or mother, whatever help you might otherwise have received from me is korban, that is, a gift devoted to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or mother. Let me explain again, because this is one of those places where the river is wide. We are standing on one bank called the 21st century, and they are standing on another bank, the first century, and the river is pretty wide here. I mean, sometimes in Scripture the river is very narrow, and we can understand exactly what's going on with no problem, but this is one of those times when we need some background information. How many people here are familiar with the concept of deferred giving? Raise your hand. Okay, you're not old enough to know about this yet. You'll be hearing about it a lot in the years to come. Because my generation, the boomer generation, is going to grow old and charities are going to be coming after our money. They figure it's no use to us after we die. So this is our idea. If you do some estate planning with us, then you can keep all your money, you baby boomers, until the day you die. And the day you die, that money can come to our charity. That way you can feel good about helping a charity after you're dead. In the meantime, you get to enjoy all of your hard-earned wealth. It's a win-win situation. Now, this is what's going on here. The Pharisees have come up with this idea in order to bless God, in order to, to keep the temple running and maintained, The idea was that you as a Jewish person could defer your giving. In other words, you don't have to give your whole entire life. And then when you die, any money that's left in your estate would go toward the temple. That way you can help God and keep all your money all at the same time. The trouble comes in is when your parents get old. Right now, the baby boomers have... Parents who are aging, let's say they're in their 80s or so, right? And they begin to need care. Medical care, residential care, maybe some assistance, things like that. And if, let's say, my parents were in a big, big bind and needed some of my money to help them out, all I have to say is, sorry, Mom, sorry, Dad, I've given all my money to God. It's not mine. I just get to use it. But I can't give it to you because it's given to God after I die. You understand what's going on here now? This is deferred giving. So Jesus is all over them for this. Because obviously this is the opposite of honoring your mother. As a matter of fact, it's honoring, it's dishonoring your father and your mother under the banner of honoring God. And Jesus says, that doesn't have integrity. All right. Verse 11. Thus, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. 
Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. Talking about the food thing again. Disciples are eating food with unclean hands, hands that are not washed. And Jesus says, Look, it's not about what goes in to your stomach. It was about what comes out of you. After he had left the crowd, entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. This is one of my favorite lines of Jesus in the whole Bible. Are you so dull, he asked. <laughs> Just not the sharpest knives in the drawer of these 12 disciples, is what Jesus is saying. What are you? A couple fish and a few loaves shy of a picnic. (laughs) These guys have been getting it the last two chapters. I mean, you got to feel sorry for them a bit. So Jesus goes on. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. This is huge. This is Mark writing to a Gentile audience primarily. We know it's a Gentile audience because he's trying to explain all the Jewishness of this passage, right? You don't need to explain this to Jews. They already know it. It's like the Jewish joke thing, right? They get it. But here, Mark's going to great pains to explain what's going on in the Jewish culture so we assume that his audience is not Jewish. And so now he's saying this next thing, which is that Jesus is declaring all foods clean. Now, if you knew anything about the ancient Jews, even Jews today, you know they have foods that are considered okay and foods that are considered not okay. Foods that are kosher and foods that are not kosher. You can't eat, for example, pork if you're an Orthodox Jew. You can't eat catfish. Because you have to have fish only that has scales on it. So no calamari, no octopus, no catfish. No shark. I don't know how many people were catching shark back in ancient Israel anyway. It wasn't a big deal. (laughs) And... Mark is telling us that Jesus is now declaring all foods clean, like they don't matter anymore. Like Jesus, in one fell swoop, in one tiny sentence, is saying, we're going deeper, folks. You were this deep with your dietary laws that I gave you. Now we're going deeper. It's not about what goes into you that makes you unclean or clean. It's about what comes out of your heart. He went on, verse 20, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean, and from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, Lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, 
and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man or a woman unclean. I went through that list very slowly on purpose. Because very often, when we have these lists of sins, we listen to the first couple, we know, oh, I'm not guilty of that yet. I'm safe. Then we get to the last couple. Arrogance, folly, slander. It's like, okay, that's probably all of us, really, honestly. So... Folly is just not being wise. Did you know that? (laughs) Anybody ever had a bad idea? You're in this list. All right. So... The Pharisees were lay people who wanted to do the faith of their fathers correctly. They were a reform movement in Judaism. They knew the Torah, the law. It was the what of their religion. The question is, how do we get there? Like, this is the law of God. This is the way we're supposed to act. This is the way we're supposed to think. This is what we're supposed to say. But we don't. We all know we lack integrity. So the big question is, how do we get there? How do we do it? And so they made up this Mishnah, this series of rules and regulations made by men and women, mostly men back then, about how to get there. See? Not a bad thing. They knew the Torah was the what. They just needed to how. God, how do we do this? And so they decided, okay, it's got to be from the outside in. That's all we can do. Let's figure out how to keep the Sabbath by all these other things that we can do. And then maybe finally, if we get all over right, we'll keep the Sabbath in our hearts. They brought this down to the individual person. We, we might say in America, something like a person's home is his or her castle, right? Well, they would take it to this extent. They would say a person's home is his or her temple. See, let's all be holy. We're a nation of priests. Now... It's kind of hard for us to understand today because we don't have anything like ritual purity in our country. In our culture, there's no idea of ritual purity. But back then, if you were ritually impure, you had to go through a cleansing ritual. And you became impure from all sorts of things as prescribed in the law. Like if you touched a dead body, you were ceremonially unclean. If you came in contact with any kind of of uh, disease, like a person had a skin disease and you touched them, you would be ritually impure. You would have to go and you'd have to get yourself cleaned up before you could go to church. If you were a woman 
and you were having your menstruation, you'd have to wait so long after you were done with that and go through a ritual cleansing procedure in order to go back to the synagogue or the temple. It's the same with the dietary laws, right? These kind of things separated the Jews from the cultures around them. It's what made you innately Jewish. These outside kinds of things. It's how you knew that you were Jewish. How do you know a Jewish person? Because the Jewish person doesn't eat pork. How do you know a Jewish person? Because a Jewish person didn't cut, a Jewish man didn't cut the hair right here or trim his beard. How, how do you know it's a Jewish person? Well, how did the Nazis figure out they were Jewish men? Because they were circumcised. And these were all ways of them identifying themselves as people of God. And so, I'm thinking... What are some of the things that we do that identify us as people of God? Because there's some things on the outside that we do, don't we? I mean, the Pharisees asking this kind of question of Jesus would be kind of like if someone came in from a very fundamentalist church and called out in the middle of a service, Mike, why don't you make your scum-of-the-earth church attenders read the King James Version of the Bible? Because we all know that's the one good translation of the Bible. The authorized King Jimmy. I mean, that's what it's like. Or something like this. Mike, how can you as a Christian pastor, allow your church leaders at Scum of the Earth to drink any alcohol at all. How can you do that? These are the Pharisee kind of questions. Leveled at me. Leveled at you. Because I don't know if you realize this, but we are not teetotalers here. I think after the story about the beer that was brewing upstairs in the nursery. (laughs) You would know that. Now, we don't believe that Christians should get drunk, but we certainly aren't upset about people having a beer or a drink or a glass of wine as long as they don't get drunk. We also don't think you should come to church drunk. (laughs) Especially if you're belligerent about it. And so you can tell us. That's one of our outward things. Still trying to figure out what happened here a few weeks ago on Palm Sunday. We talked about this in morning church. Uh, But... um, I'm still trying to figure out if I did the right thing by escorting that little old drunk lady out of the church while she cussed at me. 
Or let's say somebody comes from a liturgical church and they say something like this. Mike, why don't you why don't you require all of the scum folks to follow the church calendar? You know, Lent, Easter, all those kinds of high holy days. Why don't you? It's kind of a challenge to our spirituality, isn't it? The truth of the matter is, in the morning church, we probably do that a lot, but not at night church. Or somebody else could come and say something like this to me here as one of those pharisaical questions. Mike, how can you be a senior pastor without a seminary degree? That's a very short question with a very long answer. But it's a question, isn't it? But I don't think the pharisaical questions are just from other people to scum because we're so holy. I think scum of the earth could ask some pharisaical questions ourselves. Here's one I thought of. I think we asked this, actually, in very subtle ways. How can you and your suburban evangelical megachurch be Christians so unhip as to wear matching embroidered polo shirts? The staff's been asking for this for a while, but I won't let him do it. I'm teasing. But seriously, we've got a chip on our shoulder when it comes to the way we relate to the culture and the way other churches don't. I mean, other churches, let's face it, are relating to my culture, the boomer culture. They've done it pretty well. We have chosen not to relate to that culture, and as a result, as the boomers age and fade into the sunset, we, we question the spirituality of suburban evangelical megachurches because of a number of different things. Or we ask a question like this. And trust me, we've done this. Why do you and your ultra-cool next-generation church conference use smoke pods and laser light shows during worship? Because that is so inauthentic. We can't even work. I mean, seriously. So I took a lot of the staff and other folks who went to this ultra-cool next-generation church conference, and, you know, they had... I mean. The band was separated by at least 40 feet on the stage. The drummer was up on some kind of giant scaffold. Um, There were the giant jumbotrons on either side of the stage. And you didn't just have scenes of waterfalls and trees behind the words. No, you had the worship band and the words going across the bottom. And then there were smoke pods. Because we have to have smoke pods to show off the laser light show. And the people from Scum of the Earth are sitting there going, ah, is, that, 
is that the worship leader up there or is this leader worship? We're not sure. Let's, let's get out. And so I go out, because I can't take it after a while, I go outside in the foyer and there's my whole staff. So we're hanging out, watching the flash screen TVs in the foyer while we're chatting about how unspiritual this next generation ultra cool church conference is. Kind of Pharisees. Or we say something like this. How can you be real Christians and not ride a bicycle, recycle your trash, or conserve water? How can you do that? Because at SCUM, we're concerned about the earth God gave us. Damn it. (laughs) And you're not. Need a checkup from the neck up right there, don't we? I mean, seriously, all of us? So I think in this story, sometimes we've got to look at the Pharisees and realizing we are them, all right? All the best motives, but not some of the best methods. Then there's the Jesus retorts, the Jesus responses. And I feel like if Jesus were saying this to us, these might be some of the kinds of things Jesus might be saying to us at Scum of the Earth. You claim to be free in Christ. You quote those Scripture verses all the time. So that you don't have to be disciplined in your life about anything. That one hurts. You take pride that you don't pass an offering plate at scum and force people to give. But you hardly give any of the money I provided for you for any of the causes that are close to my heart. Ouch. How many of you are familiar with the two o'clock rule for leaders at SCUM? Let me explain. If you're on leadership at SCUM of the Earth, there is a two o'clock rule. The two o'clock rule goes like this. I made it up. It's all mine. Rules made by men right here. All right? This is the one legalism I've allowed myself, and I do so gladly. This is the rule. If you're on leadership at SCUM, you may not be in the apartment or the house or whatever of your beloved, if you're not married, after 2 a.m. You've got to leave at 2 o'clock in the morning. When the bars close, you leave. Very simple. That's my rule. People have come to me with all sorts of problems with that rule about its legalism. This is what I see Jesus saying to scum of the earth. You leave your boyfriend's apartment at 2 a.m. in keeping with your pastor's rule, but you nearly have sex by midnight every other time. 
Do you think that I don't know? Leaders of scum could have sex at two in the afternoon? I do know that. I know it's an arbitrary rule. Let me tell you another arbitrary rule. You see this garden over here? You can have fruit from any tree in that garden. Any tree at all. Except for this one over here. I'm thinking, geez, I'm thinking, God, that's kind of arbitrary, isn't it? Like, couldn't God have said, instead of don't eat the tree from that, the fruit from that particular tree, couldn't he have said, okay, you see that giant, green-eyed, fire-breathing dragon curled up in the corner of the Garden of Eden over there? Don't poke him with a stick. <laughs> like, that would have been understandable. I digress. I'm sorry. So, if you're a leader here, I know it's arbitrary. And I know it's a rule made by man. I know it doesn't go to the heart of things. But indulge me that one rule, please. That one rule. Jesus could also say something like this to us. You quote the Scripture... Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye in order to get out of holding any of your brothers and sisters accountable to any of the commands I've laid down in Scripture? Judgment begins in the house of God, right? Honestly, I think that we turned a blind eye to all sorts of junk going on with our beloved brothers and sisters, which is hurting them spiritually in the name of not judging. So this is the question I have. Where do we at SCUM not take Scripture seriously enough? Where do we give verbal assent to the Scripture and yet do whatever we want anyway? Think about it for a minute. Where in the life of our community do we give assent to God's Word and then do whatever we want anyway? I asked that question this morning in the morning church. Most of the responses had to do with people and their attitude toward one another. We talk about how we should all love one another, and then we ignore people when they come into church. That kind of thing. Scum can be a very, very lonely place if you're a new person. I'm just saying. Inside, outside, not lining up, not the same. What Jesus is saying here, honestly, is something so radical that we don't want to listen. He's saying that our main problems with sin are not caused by the outside temptations. But the main problems with sin in our lives is caused by what's going on inside of our hearts. It's not about the way we're raised. It's not about the environment that we grew up in. It's about our desperately wicked hearts. 
The prophet Jeremiah said, The heart is deceitful and sick beyond cure. Who can understand it? The problem with the Pharisees is that they were trying an outside-in approach to taking care of this problem. And they thought things like church services, sacrifices, memorization of Scripture, washing of hands, the not eating of certain foods would somehow make a difference in their life internally. Does it sound familiar to you at all? Honestly, I'm all for legislation to protect the defenseless unborn. But you know what? The change has got to come from inside. That's the change that's going to protect the individual unborn children in our nation. First, foremost, and best. We have all these Christians trying to pass all these laws to somehow make this culture better from the outside in. And I think what Jesus is saying is, no, it's going to happen from the inside out. You give them Jesus, and the rest will take care of itself. The things that we're focusing on are symptoms of a deeper sickness, and the sickness is in our hearts. The human heart is where it's got to begin and end for all of us. And the Bible addresses this. Jesus said in John chapter 5, I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. In Matthew chapter 7, he said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. There's a relationship going on here. It's not just about rituals, as in the case of the Pharisees. It's about a relationship where God wants to come in. Jesus says it plainly in Revelation 3. Those whom I love, I rebuke and I discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door, the door to your heart, I believe, and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Must be a pretty big throne. But Jesus is saying it's about what's in our hearts. And he's saying, I am the cure. It's about what's going to happen from your heart outward. If you, want to leave an, if you want to live an integrated life, if you want to be the same privately as you are publicly, if you want to be the same on the inside as you are on the outside, then it starts in the heart. And the heart is where Jesus resides. 
And all I want to say is this today. If you have never, ever invited Jesus to take residence in your heart, to come in and have a meal with you, to sup with you, to eat with you, to have fellowship with you inside your heart, that's where it begins. If you want your life to be somehow integrated, if you don't want to be a hypocrite, a play actor, someone who pretends to be righteous and isn't, then this is where it begins by inviting Jesus into your heart, maybe for the first time tonight. And if you are already a believer, if you've already made that commitment, you know what? Have another meal with Jesus in your heart. Depend on Him daily to change you from the inside out. It occurred to me, I'm pretty pathetic in my prayers this this week because I'm always, I always am saying, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. And honestly, I haven't done anything that bad lately. I mean, not like anybody's going to lock me up. There's nothing illegal. There's nothing I'm ashamed about. Nothing I can't tell my wife about. But I know that I'm missing the mark on so many levels. And the only place I'm not going to miss the mark, the only way I'm not going to miss the mark is to have Jesus finally come in and change me from the inside out. And so I'm asking you, follow in my footsteps. Realize that you can't do it on your own. That there's not any amount of rules you can place on your life. I'm going to have a devotion. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to do this. I'm going to go serve overseas. I'm going to go do anything. I'm going to worship and praise for 24-7. I'm going to do all these things. No, it starts on the inside. And then all those things fall into place. So I want you to pray with me. Some of you for the first time. Some of you for the fifth, tenth, hundredth time. To have Jesus come in to our hearts and work integrity in us from the inside out. My Lord Jesus, our Lord Jesus. We are so sorry. We are so sorry for being hypocritical in our lives as believers. Lord, we ask that you would come in and that you would make us whole and that you would give us integrity so that we are the same. I'm begging you, Lord, help us. We're jerks in need of a Savior. And Lord, if those of us who have never called on your name could do so now for the first time, we invite you to come in. Come in, Lord Jesus. Be our God. We will be your people. Live with us. Eat with us. Help us to become the kinds of people that you want us to be. And honestly, the kinds of people we want to become as well. Those who are the same on the inside as they are on the outside. Help us, Jesus. We thank you. In your name, amen.